This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, good morning, Bridgeway. I'm Pastor Ron. So excited and grateful to be here with you this morning. I got to just ask, who's ready for college football? Like, come on now, right? Yeah, cheering for that. Uh, there's a little pro tip for you. Um, you can get an app for your phone. 48 days till the first college football game. I had to show that video because, number one, that's my Western Michigan University Broncos. And they had not only, that was an incredible snowman. It was an incredible game. Broncos win 12 to 10 over the bad guys at Central Michigan University. You can tell what school I went to. Uh, but I had to show that. That was actually November 17th. All that snow, and it was kind of crazy. Uh, Broncos won the game on a last-minute field goal. Kind of funny, uh, the field goal's sister was a meteorologist, and she had been calling her brother all week saying, prepare for snow. And he'd be like, what? It's November 17th. Prepare for snow. Sure enough, it was a snow globe, and he split the uprights. Broncos win. Now, you're probably asking, why on earth would I show that video? I want to tell you this morning that just like a great game, we're coming to the, the great end of the book of Revelation. But unlike a game, this book ends so differently. It looks like it's going to be a finale. It looks like it's the end, but it's actually the beginning of our eternity with God together. You come to this part of the Bible and this part of your book, and Revelation is an incredible, fascinating read. In fact, I want to applaud you. We're coming to the end of it. This is the last message in the series. And I, I want to encourage you, especially if you've taken the time to read through the book of Revelation, you, you're promised if you do that, you'll be blessed. If you've been here, a part of the series, uh, trying to learn from this, it's a hard subject matter to get your head around. We're dealing with a book of the Bible that's uh, prophetic, so it's telling us the future as God sees it. And then at the same time, it, it's a book that's apocalyptic. And that's kind of the dark part in the book of Revelation. You're dealing with the end times. We looked a few weeks ago at Armageddon. And again, it looks like a game because uh, evil has been defeated. The enemy is defeated. You look at how uh, the beast, how the false prophet, the antichrist, the dragon Satan himself are once and for all defeated. They're thrown into the pit of hell. And again, it looks like game over, end of game. But it's actually the beginning. In fact, what I want you to think about today as we cover this, this last section of the Bible is I want you to think of it as, as the new. Because I think this is what God is really preparing us now for. That this life isn't just trivial. It's not just a dress rehearsal. It's actually to have a vision of what God is doing in the new. It looks like the end of human history or the seconds are just going to tick off the clock but it's not that at all. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mike did an outstanding job talking about how this battle comes to a finish. He, he gave a great message on probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 19. Preached a great message. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to Dad Save. It's awesome. It's just this beautiful picture of Jesus, the rider on the white horse, coming in and, and basically saving the day, saving all of humanity. And Jesus has this name written on him. It's this warrior Jesus mode. It's just beautiful. I would tell you that what we're going to read today is probably my second favorite part of the Bible uh, in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 21. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love to have you turn there yourself. And what I want to give you this morning is not just uh, a picture of the end as we see it in Revelation. 
and the new that we begin with God, I actually want you to begin to embrace what the new could look like in your life. So I want to give you a few ways for you to live out the new. So as you find your way to Revelation chapter 21, easiest book of the Bible to find. It's right at the very end. Uh, I want to give you kind of a, a little bit of theology for a moment. In fact, uh, it's important to understand where this is situated in God's story. So kind of a, a review of what I would call Christian worldview. Now, not every church follows this, but I believe strongly in a model that follows creation, fall, redemption. And then what we're going to talk about today, the consummation, or some traditions would call it the restoration, or as I'm calling it this morning, the new. But this is important. This is the ark. This is what God's intention is. A lot of people pick up their Bible and they're like, ah, I just don't understand it. I don't know what it means. Well, you can actually understand the Bible just by knowing creation, fall, redemption, consummation, the worldview. The Bible is not mythology. It's not just happenstance or even a historical book. It tells a story of what God is doing. And the Bible starts with creation. In fact, you go to the other extreme, the other end of your Bible, and in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you get kind of the, the full-on approach to God's design for creation, how God creates everything, galaxies and sun and stars and the earth, and then he fills the earth with land and trees and animals, uh, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and God does this. God creates all of this from nothing, ex nihilo, from nothing. God creates everything, including the matter that it takes to create. And then God creates kind of the pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. Adam and Eve, uh, which is where we come from. And he gives Adam and Eve this very important task, that they're told in the garden that they are to have uh, this dominion, this rule. They're, in fact, they're given like this, this requirement to fill the earth and subdue the earth. We call it the cultural mandate, uh, to fill and subdue the earth. And Adam and Eve, well, they start off well, but they don't make it very far. And before they make this huge mistake, they do the one thing that God has told them not to do. And it's only in Genesis chapter 3. It takes them one chapter to fall into sin and disobedience. They do the one thing they're told not to do. They eat the tree uh, from the knowledge of good and evil. And that's this apple here, the fall. And you could say that fall then marks the rest of humanity uh, because sin enters the world and there are consequences to living in a sinful, fallen world. In fact, God begins those consequences by taking Adam and Eve out of the perfection of the garden and placing them outside the gates of the garden. You could call it east of Eden is where they're placed. And they're told that from now on things will be different. Uh, in fact, work will be toilsome. And childbirth will be painful. All the moms in the room said, amen, right? Like, you know that full well, right? And it's the consequences of sin. And sin carries us all the way from Genesis chapter 3, honestly, all the way until what we're going to read today, Revelation chapter 21. I've said before many times that the Bible would be a really, really small book if sin had not been part of the equation. You'd have Genesis 1 and 2, and you'd have Revelation 21 and 22. Instead, we see this need to kind of work through a sinful, fallen environment. And God does not leave us on our own to do that. He actually provides his son Jesus as our redemption. The cross saves and covers us. And faithfully following Jesus and being obedient to his commands and living a moral life, worshiping him and sharing in the gospel, the good news message with everyone we meet, is what our call is. 
And now we get to the end, where it looks like the game is finished. And it's really not. It's this consummation. It's where God has this plan that he's been unfolding all along to kind of move from, from the garden, as you're going to see, to this great city. That's the ark. That's the plan that God has for us, this restoration of all things. And maybe it's helpful to think of this as sort of the, the, the way in which God is looking to give his people what they've always wanted. Maybe, maybe you could think of this consummation as the inheritance that's promised to God's people. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands on this one, but how many of you would love to have someday an inheritance, right? Like you'd love to receive an inheritance. Did you know, in fact, I won't ask for a show of hands, if you're sitting next to the person that you hope leaves you an inheritance, you know, you can just kind of, you can kind of just wink at your pastor. You can kind of just say, like, I, I see you out there. I got you. Do you know that the average inheritance nowadays is $110,000? i got to be honest with you, when I talk in circles that I travel in, uh, I, I don't hear those kind of numbers getting passed down to the next generation. In fact, I did a wedding a few weeks ago, had a great time, uh, and at the reception, the table I was at, we got on the same subject of an inheritance, and I thought the person next to me was so keen. He had such an insight. He said, I don't, plan to leave, I don't plan to leave my kids anything. He said, in fact, I know exactly what I'm going to do. On my deathbed, I'm going to spend my very last dime. I said, how are you going to do that? He said, Amazon Prime, right? And uh, I may not open the boxes, but I'm going to stick someone with having to return them all. So, you know, just kind of an idea. In fact, there's all kinds of stories throughout history of people, you know, kind of maybe feeling jaded, maybe leaving someone out. This is a picture of uh, a famous dog. His name is Trouble. And his owner was the real estate tycoon, Leona Helmsley. And she had a bit of a family feud. And so uh, she left Trouble, get this, 12 million dollars. She cut two of her grandkids out of the well in order to have the most pampered pooch for the rest of his lives. What I want to tell you is uh, what you're going to see in this chapter, this inheritance, what God has planned for us is far greater than any type of monetary payoff you could ever receive. This consummation, this new restoration that God wants to do is is truly amazing. Hopefully you found your way to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read starting in verse 1. Remember, this is uh, our author, John. Uh, he is the good friend of Jesus. He is the apostle, close disciple to Jesus, and he's giving us this picture of what he sees, and now he's seeing this new, starting in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Get this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love how this section ends with this reminder that everything you're reading in the Bible, everything you're reading certainly in Revelation, is something that you can put your trust in. You can put your trust in the fact that what looks old now what looks like in need of a makeover, God plans to make new. 
And I just read a snippet uh, from uh, chapter 21. I would encourage you, read through the finish line of this book. Read through Revelation 21. Finish it off with Revelation 22, maybe later today or as you start your week. But I was reading this all this week, and I honestly, I don't know how it could get any better than this, right? I mean, if we were at a sporting event and your team were to win, I mean, this would be like the cheering of all cheering. Like, I don't know how to contain the excitement of the promise that this offers. And not only does this game come to a close, but it actually is better. We get to live into eternity with the new. If you've still got uh, your eyes on chapter 21, it starts with this newness, and he says, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Let me explain that for just a moment. I know it's difficult reading Revelation because sometimes you're reading it and Everything is a symbol. Everything is symbolic of something else. So you hear about these beasts and they're symbolic of evil. You see the dragon, it's symbolic of Satan himself. You see the number seven, it's the symbol of perfection for God. Uh, You even see in the earlier message, we looked at the lampstands, how they're symbols of the church. And I know the temptation when you read this new heaven, new earth, you could think, well, what is that a symbol of? Well, it's not a symbol. It's actually this newness that comes only from God, this new part of creation that we haven't experienced yet. It's a new heaven, and it's a new earth. And frankly, when we get to this point in time, we're going to need a new earth. Uh, If you remembered from a message a few weeks ago, we preached on Armageddon, kind of this last battle. And when you read that, you think, well, what's left of this ball of dirt that we live on? I mean, this is the part of the Bible where, if you remember, I mean, like the Seas turn to blood. I mean, this is a really, really downer section, right? I mean, it gets, it gets just downright depressing to see what happens to evil. Evil is dealt with once and for all. And, and the oceans are dried up, and, and giant 100-pound hailstones start pummeling the earth, killing everyone in sight. Uh, there's earthquakes. Mountains get picked up and are thrown across the country. I mean, there is almost nothing left of earth. When you read this part of the Bible, I want to be really clear. This is not symbolism. That God has in store for us somehow, some way, can't really explain it here and now, but a newness of heaven and earth. And it's very different. He says in the next line, he says, and the sea was no more. I don't know about you, but I, I like parts of the sea. I like the sea from shore. What's God got against the ocean, the seas, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there are definitely parts of the sea I don't like. I'll give it to you in one word. Sharks, like just don't like them very much. Uh, in fact, I am still wondering, I've, I've swam out in the ocean, like re- not like just playing in the waves, but like really far, like a mile, mile and a half offshore. And there's this eerie sense, because I've done this in several Ironman races, where you're way out from shore, and you just feel like you're being watched, right? Like, like someone is sizing you up as you're swimming across their dinner plate. Like that's the feeling I have when I'm in the ocean. And so maybe that's part of the you know, the reason why. But I think actually there's no longer any sea because the sea throughout the Bible represents chaos and disorder. And the new is a place where there's no more chaos or disorder. In fact, um, brilliant, brilliant thinker, uh, the reformer Martin Luther, he he would talk about this sense of chaos to order and, and he would use baptism as that symbol. In fact, he would talk about how when we go into the water, it, it is chaotic. In fact, in that day, they feared going in the water. They thought the water meant uh, sure and certain death. And yet, Martin Luther had the sense of understanding that the Christian walk is one of 
entering into the chaos only to come out again, washed clean, protected, risen with Christ as your seal of salvation. And Martin Luther would talk about how this is a way in which we practice the new. That we don't just have a baptism because, well, the Bible says so. It's actually, it's actually practicing the newness of this life that we're living for someday, the new heaven and the new earth. And we want everyone here at Bridgeway to experience that, to actually have an opportunity to experience the new here and now, to, to have this taste of what the future will be like. And so we make it a big point to, to just share with you opportunities uh, to put in your life a, a spiritual marker of baptism. And we want to offer that to you again. In fact, we're going to have our annual uh, anniversary service and baptism service. You might want to write this down. It's coming up on September 10th. It's truly, it's honestly my favorite service of the year. Uh, it's a big party. We have it outside on the river, uh, right out back. It's a great time. Uh, afterwards, there's food and games and uh, food trucks and all that. And it's just, it's a great day because we get to experience this newness of life in the life of our people. Um, if you want to sign up for that, uh, you can use that QR code, or you can speak to any of us pastors uh, after service. We would love to prepare you for that step in your spiritual journey. But it's new. In fact, the other part of the new is that there's now this holy city that he sees. There's no longer any sea. He now sees this holy city coming down, the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. In fact, uh, I'll be honest, I'm uh, forever indebted to uh, a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. Tim Keller really changed uh, my thinking on this. He just passed away recently, and it's such a loss for uh, thinking in the Christian community. But, but Tim Keller would talk about how the city matters to God. And, and here we live in suburbia, right? Like, we don't live in a big city. He lived in uh, New York City, started a great church called Redeemer there. And, and Tim Keller was always a reminder for me that the city matters because the city is density, it's the population of people, of all different kinds of people, and it's where the arts and music flourish. And there's this opportunity to kind of see what God has in store. He's, he's moving humanity from, from the garden to now this great city, that there's progress in our lives, that it's only going to be better. And I think it's for this. I think God wants us all together because in verse 3 he says, the dwelling of God is now with man. Think about that for a moment. I mean, that's so theologically rich. In fact, ever since God took Adam and Eve and placed them outside the garden, he has been in a relentless pursuit to be as close to humanity as he can. In fact, you see glimpses of this. You see how Moses was instructed to, to build the tent. And Moses would meet with God in the tent, and then Moses would go back and talk to the people about what God said. God was getting close to the people through Moses, through the tent. And then later, Solomon is told to build the temple in Jerusalem. And now it's not just Moses. Now it's an entire order of priests. And they now meet with God. And then they go and tell the people what God is saying. And then we see the greatest summit. We see Jesus coming to the world, the incarnation. And if you think about that, Jesus comes, and it's God in the bod, right? I mean, it's God that comes to be with us, to kind of move into our neighborhood. But it's only temporary. When we see the consummation, the new, it's actually us moving into God's neighborhood where he can be with us at any moment, at all times. Now, I think here's why. In fact, I'm going to put this back on the screen. This is what happens when you're with God fully and all the time. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, and death shall be no more. There's no more mourning or crying or pain. All the old order of things are passed away. 
I gotta be honest, I think a lot of times when I talk to people and they're followers of Jesus, they, they have this, maybe this bit of regret. I think sometimes people have sort of this feeling that if I follow Jesus, all my problems are gonna go away. And maybe a pastor told them that, you know, we kind of call it the health and welfare gospel where, you know, you're told that if you just follow Jesus, you won't have any problems. And that's completely wrong. Like, if you follow Jesus, you actually just now have a way to deal with all your problems. Problems don't go away. I mean, Jesus was a man who suffered greatly. He was a man of great sorrows. But we see this different way in which the new will play out. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. I mean, think about that. I mean, there's, you're not going to go on the news in the morning. You're not going to see about, you know, a shooting or a car accident. I mean, hospice is no more. You can take all the cemeteries, empty them out. You can turn all the funeral homes into museums. We won't need them anymore. All of that pain is gone. And we long for that now. Even as I think about that, I think of people that I've, I've gone through suffering, and I've seen them suffer great, great loss. And, and it's so hard because we're not there yet. We're still here. And yet we see glimpses of, in fact, one of my favorite verses kind of relates to this. It's Psalm 56, verse 8. This is the psalmist, and just capture his heart for a moment. He, he says these words, you have, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I mean, the psalmist is, is kind of saying, look, you, you watch me, God. You see my sleepless nights. I mean, every tear. You've got a bottle on a shelf with my name on it. You've collected every one of them. And they're written in your book. And the psalmist has, has this sense of comfort and peace in the middle of the storm. And you probably realize this, but you will go through suffering in life. In fact, everyone in this room, you're at some stage of trials and difficulties and suffering even as I speak. In fact, some of you might be in it now, and you read this verse, and I hope that you have great, great comfort from what God does. And if you're not in the middle of suffering, then maybe you're just coming out of it. And this morning, you're filled with praise and thanks and, and amen and hallelujah and praise God. And then for those of you who aren't, I, I got to tell you, spoiler alert, you may be heading into a season of suffering and challenge and difficulty. And I hope these words are something that prepare you for that. And I hope the community of God is there to surround you and to be with you because we're called to carry each other's burdens. I love seeing the new, but I live in the now. Like my life is, is here and now. It's with real people. And, and I've learned over the years that what you say to someone can, can very much shape uh, their direction, their relationship with God. And so, I don't know, I just was kind of this week kind of just journaling and writing down some things about like maybe what not to say to somebody who's suffering because I've, I've got a foot-shaped mouth and I've stuck my foot in it many times. And so learn from me. Maybe some things not to say to someone who's suffering. I would say this. First thing not to say is, uh, is kind of the cliche, oh, it's going to get better. You ever said that? Or maybe you've received those words. Oh, don't worry about it. It's going to get better. And I would tell you, don't ever say that because you don't honestly know it's going to get better. It might get a lot worse for that person. And you as a Christ follower telling them, oh, don't worry, it's going to get better. You could actually be kind of setting them up for, for disappointment that they don't need with God. 
And maybe that's just one thing. Another thing not to say is be strong, right? Like we kind of carry around this, I don't know, this cape, right? Like we got to be Christian superheroes and never feel, never show any pain. And the reality is if someone is suffering, they're not going to feel strong. In fact, what they need is they need someone to be a strength for them. Last thought, maybe another one not to say is, is something trivial along the lines of, well, there's a reason for everything, and there is a reason for everything, but hopefully you've kind of picked up some theology this morning. Like, the reason for everything that's difficult and challenging and causes suffering, you want to know what the reason for that is? It's sin. And so if you tell someone, well, there's a reason for everything, you know, it's not a stretch to say, well, then it's all your fault. Because we are the source of where sin entered the story. And so I just want to say, maybe don't say those things. Instead, what if you just pointed people to what God says? I've learned to maybe say less and let God say more. And maybe I say something, you know, simple like, I don't have the words for what you're going through. But I do know this. God's keeping count. I mean, he's tracking And he sees what you're going through. He knows your anxiety. He knows your sleeplessness. Maybe just commit this to memory. Or you've got tears, you've got pain. Well, he's collecting them in his bottle. Man, he's got a bottle just for you. He's working towards this new. There will be a day, an incredible day. And we can put our hope, we can bank our hope on that reality. So I just want to be practical this morning. This has been uh, such an exciting series. I've been so grateful to go through it. I think uh, I've had like the joy of digging into some really hard scripture and and some current events, and I've just been blessed. So thank you for letting me teach through this book with you. But I've been praying most for this message, kind of like the end in mind as your pastor, thinking through what this message would kind of translate to you and to your life every day. And i got to tell you, what I want more than anything else is for this church to live with the anticipation of the new. And not the new as in sort of like a a gimmicky way, like, oh, we got to reinvent ourselves, Bridgeway, and we got to be like uber relevant. Like, I think as soon as the church says it needs to be relevant, it's not relevant, right? In fact, I just think the church needs to be authentic in the people that are called there, the people that are a part of it. I mean, what if instead of trying to be something else, we just tried to be authentically living out this new in whatever way God carries you, wherever God places you, to be thinking, I'm living for this new. This life isn't meaningless. It's not just a dress rehearsal. I can live in and usher in the new. I'm praying. I'm praying every day for newness in our community. We're sharing all these babies that have been born this summer. Like, I love that. New life and new hope. I I love seeing that. I'm praying for new salvations in our church, new baptisms to come about on September 10th and just be a part of those stories, new people to step into the freedom from their old ways, freedom from addictions, freedom from struggles, just to have this newness. And i got to tell you, the the only way I know how to do that is to live authentically with Christ. And I want to give you just maybe two ways, two challenges in which you can start to live this new out spiritually in your life as well. If you're taking notes, first thing I would say is we need to live with a renewed sense of habits, a new sense of habits in what we do spiritually. Now, certainly 
you've all got habits. We've all got habits every single day. They just they become a part of our life. But what if we actually said, I want to live with a new sense of habits spiritually? And if I could say there's only two habits that you need to learn, it's reading your Bible and praying on a daily basis, a regular basis of just saying, I'm going to read my Bible, and then I'm going to spend some time talking to God. Now, here's the deal. I looked at the clock, our calendar. We are about as far away from New Year's as you can possibly get. So these are not New Year's resolutions. I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions. I believe in habits. Build your life around healthy habits. Certainly, brush your teeth, you know, eat a good diet, get some exercise. But what about taking care of your soul and building the habits of of reading your Bible and praying on a daily basis, and now reading it with the sense of creation, fall, redemption, and then the new. You know, maybe this summer, there's still a lot left in the summer. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I'm going to really commit to, to spending time in God's Word every day. Maybe, maybe it's the Psalms, you know, summer in the Psalms. Every day, you just start reading through a psalm a day, and you just let those words pour over you and just begin to build into you. And you use that as a quiet time to, to pray and talk to God about your day. Maybe it's not the Psalms. Maybe it's, it's the Gospels. You're going to read through the book of Matthew. Or, or maybe you're going to want to read through the book of Revelation again. Or you want to read the whole Bible. You're just going to start in Genesis, and it's probably going to take you longer than the rest of 2023. But you read through the entire Bible with kind of this focus, this narrative, this arc of how God's ordered the Bible. New habits. Second thing I would say is I believe we need to have a renewed sense of relationships. I mean, think about it. You've gone through this book of Revelation, and it's not a solo journey. There's a group of people that God has redeemed and called in this life. And those are the ones that we travel with throughout eternity, that the relationships we have here in this room, brothers and sisters, as the Bible would call us, really, truly matter. And I think we need to have a renewed sense of what that'll look like in eternity. Let me just say for a moment that when it comes to relationships, it needs to start first and foremost in the home. In fact, having a home centered around God's word is really uh, where you need to begin. Let, let me talk to just the men, the husbands, for just a moment. You know, the Bible calls us to a great task of leadership. We're called to lead our homes in every way. I mean, certainly leading our homes, putting food on the table, but leading our homes spiritually as well. I mean, men are actually called to, to wash their wives in the word of God, meaning you need to know the word of God. And you need to know it so that you can be able to explain it and teach it and, and have that carry through your entire day, through every member of your family, including your kids. I, I think there's such a, a desire today to go to the ends of the earth, and yet our greatest need for discipleship is right under our own roof, just spending time together as a family. I think summer affords us just this opportunity to have more time together. I, I'm, I'm loving it. In fact, uh, all my military kids are home last week and this week, and just loving getting to spend time with them and, and hear what God's doing in their life. And I'll give you a little glimpse into the pastor's home. It's not like we sit together in our living room and, all right, what's your favorite verse? And let's, you know, let's talk about a Bible. Like, instead, it's, it's living that authentic life. What is God doing in and around you? And, and do I know you well enough to know how to pray for you and how to lift you up? I think beyond that, we do need to be looking at relationships outside of our home. God places us in all these incredible places, our, our work and our neighborhoods and on vacation, where you can have these encounters with people that God might be bringing across your path to share this new with. I mean, think about it. You now know the path. You now know where God is going, and you actually now know the answer to where there's no more death and no more pain. Who needs to hear that message from you? I wanted to close this message and invite the worship team to come up and just give you an opportunity to really think about that in your own life.
to reflect on, on maybe who God is calling you to be thinking about and sharing with this message of the new. It might be someone in your home. It might be someone in your neighborhood. It might be someone in your workplace. But to be asking God, who is it that you're calling me to share this new with? If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I just, I thank you so much. I, I thank you that uh, you give us a glimpse of what you're doing. Certainly your ways are above all of our ways, but you give us a glimpse and it is so hopeful, God, to know that it's not random, that we don't have to worry about where you're taking us, but we get to go on this wild ride with you, God. And so I just thank you. I thank you collectively as one voice from our community, God. I pray that you would allow us to experience the new here and now and that you would begin with each person here. God, we can only really control one thing and that's ourselves. And so I pray that you would build into us just this renewed sense of how you've called us to live our lives with you. God, I thank you that you give us the greatest example in Jesus who lived this perfect life and offers us this opportunity to walk with him throughout all the challenges and all the difficulties. I pray for every person here within the sound of my voice going through a challenging moment, God, that you would come alongside of them and that you would lift them up and that you would give them the hope that they need. We're going to sing to you of that great hope. We're going to give you all of our praise and all the glory that you deserve. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 